The Lord be with you. It is great to be with you tonight and share with you the Word of God, especially something that um, you could say is at the very heart of my understanding and walk with the Lord. Before I get there, I would so briefly like to thank every one of you who are supporting this ministry. Um, you, you enable us to carry this message of God's love free of charge to the entire world. And those of you that are listening to us in maybe what would be called third world, the many of you in persecuted countries, um, I, I carry your thanks to these people who support this in their offerings that they send betimes, and that enables us to come right inside where you are and present this message to you. But I want you to know we note it and we give thanks to God for your obedience in giving. Okay, I want to share from Proverbs in chapter 3. I have been sharing this in other uh, groups, private groups, in the last while, because it is, it's still alive to me. And I recognize that here is a, and I hesitate to use the word secret, because it's wide open to everyone. But th this is one of those uh, secrets of walking with God that we tend to gloss over. So here it is, in Proverbs in chapter 3, and in verse 5, I could read uh, the whole passage because it all fits together, but I want to zero in on verse 5. Trust in the Lord, or in I am, with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. There you have it. Very simple verse, and one that I'm sure finds a place... Uh, on your refrigerator or hanging on the wall somewhere in your house. It's, it's one of those kind of verses. But the trouble with some of those kind of verses, we know them and they make great decoration, but we haven't let them sink into us. So, so what is this? Well, number one, before we go anywhere, it comes to us as a command. It's in the imperative. It's not given to us as a suggestion. But it comes as a direct command, trust in the Lord. And you will find throughout the Psalms and also uh, other, other places in the Scripture, but especially the Psalms, where it, it is given as a testimony that David or the psalmist is saying that the person who trusts in the Lord uh, will have this kind of life. But other times it comes here as it is here as a command. Trust in the Lord. And I must say, and you've heard me say this before, but I want you to really get inside on this one. This word command, it has um, been given the definition that belongs more to the military. I suppose legalists uh, look at God very much like a general, and so uh, they, they look at it, you know, the, the saluting, the click of your heels, and the, yes, sir, and you are going to go and do this thing. Whereas in 
the scripture we must understand God is not your general. He he is not the one that glares at you in a boot camp and you have to say yes sir. That that's not relationship with the father who loves you with a love that is beyond all definition. No, and the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he gently puts that word inside of us, as we saw just the other week, um, in terms of rain on the dry ground until the, the rain saturates, soaks in. And that, that's how the word of God is given to us. And so it would be true to say, if we take this whole understanding of this idea of command, it's to be understood as an implanted goal. That That is, the, the Father, through Jesus and the Spirit, He plants into you His goal. This, this is where He's headed. This is, shall I say, His desire for you infused into your deepest being. So, a command... Get rid of all your sergeant majors and, and realize this is the operation of the Holy Trinity, the Father speaking his word in Jesus, the word and the Holy Spirit who dwells within every cell of your body, infusing that goal of the desire of God into you. And so this, this comes to us as such that he is infusing this right as I'm speaking. The Holy Spirit is touching something within you that leaps to respond. And this that I'm saying and the word that I've read wraps itself around you deep within and you are hearing and receiving the goal of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit for you. But then when we say command, we immediately think of the word obey. And again, I've shared this before, but here as we deal with this, obey, uh, um, again, it's, it's not that salute and say, yes, sir, because then the whole of the word is on your doing, and that's what we've ended up with, people doing what they think the Scripture's saying, but their heart is a million miles from it. They do it because they're going to obey. No, again, he, he infuses his word in us, and our response is to listen. If we took this word obey apart in the languages of the Bible, it, it, it means to listen. And actually, it means to stand under and listen, and to repeatedly listen. And I could give you many examples of how this is put into practice in the Scripture, where, where repetition is part of it. And it's not, Jesus pointed out, not vain repetition. It's not empty just saying something over and over again. It is repetition that is allowing the Word of God to get into your deep heart, you could say your subconscious, until it, it is the soil in which actions grow without you really 
um, getting involved in, in the, it's not gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to do this. It's rather I listen to this incredible word, even if it's above my head when I'm beginning to listen. But it, I, I, I let the word of God loose within me to be the recreative love power that, as we've seen in the last weeks, accomplishes and is successful in accomplishing all the intention of that word. So let's come to this with that in mind. Here, here is one of the love intentions of the Father for you. This is his goal. When he thinks of you, this is what he thinks of. And our response is to stand under and receive that. That is, we listen and listen and listen. Over and over again, I've spent months on a verse sometimes, letting the Holy Spirit cause me to hear what it is saying. But you listen without debate. You know what I mean? You you don't listen and say, yeah, yes, but, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but. No, remember, you are receiving the living Word of God. Let the Word do its work. Allow that Word into our deepest heart. So, trust in I am with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. It's life-changing when it gets inside you. What is trust? Well, that's the question. What is trust? It's, it's a very important word at any time in history and any place, but maybe especially so in this world of the 21st century in which we live today. Because, you see, trust and believe, and faith, and also the word know, they're all bundled up together. They're part of the same family. And in our present day, especially in our religious world, we speak more or intimate in in more ways than one that believing is to believe about something, to believe in Jesus as an historical character. And so to believe in the resurrection merely is something that happened, and all that Jesus did, something that he did. And we, we, we say, I believe that. But that's, of course, not the point. The Bible says the devils believe like that. And they tremble at what they believe like that, but it, they don't have this. You see, at the heart of the biblical word believe is this word trust. It's at the heart of the word faith, though faith goes further than this, but at its heart. You, but take trust out of the word believe, take trust out of faith, and, and it, it's not the biblical word at all. Trust is at the heart of it. This is the beating pulse of believe. It's a beating pulse of know. Again, we, we talk so glibly, and, and I speak especially to those of you that have been to seminary or are studying even now in some Bible school. Please, 
The greatest lie of Satan is that you think by knowing about what's in the Bible, you know it. You don't. You don't know until what you know has brought about trust. And you come out of your college school not just with a diploma, but knowing God and trusting him. Now we're getting somewhere. Because to believe about something, to know about something, takes us into the world of separation. I know about it, which means it's on my uh, bookshelf, it's in my file cabinet, but I'm separated from it. Trust brings it right into my heart, and I trust. There's a relevancy now to my whole life. Trust. So, the word trust... It's at the foundation of all relationships. You cannot have any kind of relationship with God or another human come to that without trust. Take out trust and you're just standing beside someone full of suspicion. But a relationship means there has come a point where you trust this person, and that person has invested their trust in you. That's a relationship. And the relationship continues because trust not only is, but it grows. That's that's a relationship, a growing trust. So you could say it's the foundation of all relationships, but also the glue that holds them all together. It's interesting that this word is then the word connected with covenant. I'll mention that in a moment, but one of the ways in which uh, trust has been translated in some um, areas is uh, persons who eat together. Now, if, if we've not been together studying covenant, you may wonder about that, but um, in every covenant, there is a covenant meal, and you you place your hands on the same food together, and once you've eaten of the other person's bread, then you are bound together in, in covenant. And so covenant is sometimes called eating together, which is sometimes translated as trust. Because you, in, in countries where covenant is understood, you would never eat with a person unless you trusted them, because it's a commitment to eat with them. And so, um, covenant, uh, you're glued together by trust. So, trust, what is trust? Trust, okay, I'd have to use the word confidence. Uh, I'd also use the word assurance. It is that heart knowing. Confidence is a good word. Confidence in another because you are convinced, another word you have to have in this definition, convinced that this person seeks only your highest good, that they will never harm or hurt you, but rather this person that you are trusting is because you are convinced that they love you 
and will only pursue love toward you. That, that's trust. Did you get it? it it's, it's a word we have to say confidence. There's nothing shaky here. Confidence in another because you're convinced that they only seek your highest good. You're convinced that they will never harm you or hurt you, but they will love you as they have, which has brought you to this point. So when I say trust, we're speaking of the ultimate safe place. It's that that place within your world where you can relax, shut the door, fling yourself on the sofa. Here it is safe. You are in the presence of the one that will never hurt you. It's the presence of the person that will never despise you, never put you down, never mock you, never laugh at what you're saying or going through, that will only love you and seek your highest and your best and be there for you. Safe place. Now, obviously, trust is not blind. I mean, people speak of blind trust, but that's an oxymoron. Trust um, trust grows out of the evidence of the love of the other that you're trusting. And as you gather that evidence and experience that evidence, so trust is both created and continues. See, the person that you're trusting is seen to be for real. Uh, That's another element you have to include. You, You are convinced of this person because you have evidence that they're real. You know what I mean. There's no masks here. The, the person you trust cannot have a mask. You can't trust a mask, you see. You, you can't trust a person who has pretense and they're putting on a, a show to because they know what you would wish for and like and so they're going to do that just to... No, that's all fake. You can't trust a person like that. You can't trust a liar. They're, they're a liar especially forbids trust. Never know what they're saying is true of themselves or anything. So a person that you trust has no secrets. That they're open. There's no nor is there a dark side that that you're always walking on eggshells waiting for it to burst out. You know what I mean? There are some people and you know There's a dark side to them, and it's always poking half a head out, and you're not sure of them. You know, the moody person, what they were this morning at breakfast, you've got no guarantee they'll feel the same way at 11 o'clock. You can't trust that person. And um, nor, nor can you trust an exaggerator, You know, the one who, because they're so small in their own eyes, will exaggerate and and portray themselves as having a strength and ability and influence that they, in actual fact, don't have and can never put into action. I mean, that, that, that would be a terrible letdown if you trusted that person. And in the day when you needed such a person of strength, you discovered, well, it was, it was all a pack of lies. that They don't have it. You, you follow what I'm saying? Um, so 
the one we trust will be one who is utterly reliable. That's another word that must be in our understanding of trust. You trust the reliable. Um, the Bible word would be faithful. Or what, what does it say in Proverbs? A loyal friend. Yeah. And, and unchanging. What you see is what you always get. They're not changing with every wind of circumstance. So, trust, you see, is placed in a person that is worthy of trust. Does this begin to make sense? When you realize this word trust, it spans the Bible. And although it does speak sometimes about trusting human beings, really the word is used to describe our trust in God. We were created, hold this, get it, we were created, and that means we're wired, okay? This is not an add-on. It's part of our creation, when, when God fashioned us, this we built this into us, that we were created to trust the Creator in a covenant relationship in which we were to receive our life, our very being, and the aliveness of our life. That, that is, not just sitting like zombies, but, but alive in our living we were to receive that. The Creator who reveals Himself as Father would, would care for us and be our sustenance. We were created to trust such a God. It's built into us. We were created to trust Him as the source of our being and life and relate to Him in an open and safe covenant friendship in every moment. That's what it means to be a real human being. But he does not ask us for blind trust. He, he reveals himself to us. And that is the history of humankind how this God has revealed himself to us. And history, he comes inside our history to reveal himself to us right there where we are. He reveals that he created us out of his love. Now, I, I want you to underscore that in your mind. You might have to do away with things that you've been taught. But the fact is, it's, it's there. It fills the scripture. He created us out from his love. See, cre creation does not primarily show us the power of God. That might be a shock because to call forth the universe out of nothing <clears throat> sounds like power to me. But I have to go back one step, um, and at the back of the power is the question, why did God create in the first place? He may indeed have created the universe with power, but why did he do that? 
And that's when the rest of the Bible joins to say that that act of creation power was because he willed to have you in existence out from his love. He created you from love in order to love you and to cherish you. And and that's why from the first passages of the scripture, he reveals himself as making covenant with us, a covenant in which he binds himself to us. A covenant not being a contract, remember. Contract is the uh, <clears throat> substitute opposite. No, a contract always has in it, if you do this, I'll do that. And if you don't do this, I'll punish you. Um, no, that that's a covenant is, I give myself to you, and I seal my giving by the shedding of my blood and by an oath upon which I call upon God to watch over this covenant and watch as I keep it. And the amazing, can you imagine that God, God, creator, so loved us that he entered into covenant with us and swore by his own being that he would never leave us, he would never forsake us, And if he did so, because it was an oath, it would mean God himself would cease to exist. And out of that comes those verses, you know, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You'll never be abandoned. And that that has a negative to it that we don't have in English. And so in order to really translate that into English, it will be, I will never, I will never, I will never, I will never, I will never. No, on any account, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Wow, that's some, but that's the covenant. And God says, thus I give myself to you. And my loving kindness, which is again covenant word, is from everlasting to everlasting. It's higher than the heavens beyond all measurement. And then he throws in those scriptures. It's impossible for God to lie. The God who cannot lie. It's impossible. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. What you see is what you get. And I would emphasize that because many people think that there is a sort of God behind God. That, yeah, I know that this, this God looks loving, but the real God who's behind God, well, wait till you meet him. No, Jesus said that he is the final and full revelation of who God is right in the midst of our humanity. God is love, and he cannot be other than that. He didn't say he had love. He said he is love. If you take love away, God isn't. God is love. And he revealed his love to us in a multitude of promises. But they all come to their fulfillment and finale in, this is love, he gave his very self in Jesus Jesus is not a very holy man. Jesus isn't someone who knew God awfully well. The words he uses all through the Gospels is that he came out from God. 
which the only way we can translate those words is he is God from God. He comes out from the heart of God, comes out of God and, and, and takes to himself our human and is among us, showing us what God is really like. Love, compassion, kindness, goodness, gentleness. <laughs> and he made himself vulnerable. This is all mind-blowing. I'm going through this like an express train. But we could sit and, and sink for hours on it. God made himself vulnerable. He didn't have to be here. But he so loved us, he is here to lay hold upon us and bring us to himself. But in doing that, God becomes vulnerable. He opened his arms and exposed his heart. And what did human do but take hold of him and spew their rage at him? There was one sermon, you might have heard of it, preached. Um, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, I'm sorry. That to me is totally upside down and does in no way reveal the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God... <laughs> He, he is God in the hands of angry sinners. He gave himself and he let humans, he let his creature humans spit on him, bully him, torture him, crucify him. And then he took what they did to him and made it the means of salvation. This is our God. Talk about track record. Talk about evidence of love. John 3.16 gives us the most un unbelievable equation. D did you miss it f from saying it so often? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, now ho hold it. For God so loved the world, and the world means every human being in all of history. For God so loved the world. Okay. What, what does that look like? For God so loved you and I, what does it look like? You see, then it comes in that. Okay, so now we've got an equation here. On the one side, he said that he so loved us. The word that now will give us the equivalency. This is how much he loved you, that he gave his only begotten son that is, he, th this is the balance of the scales. That on the one side, he so loved you. And on the other side, that so loved means that he loves you in an equality of loving his son. Can, can you grasp this? God doesn't have two or three kinds of love, and you're sort of in the bottom half of it. No, he only has one love. And that love is defined in the love that he has for the Son, Jesus. But now he tells us that he loves you with that same love. And he, he, his equation, he makes you, you and the Son. And he says he loves you as he loves the Son and therefore gave the gift of the Son in order to gain you. 
And of course, as as we've referenced in, I think, the last time together in, in John's Gospel, Jesus said it plainly, especially in chapter 17, that, that the Father, God the Father, loves us exactly as He loves Jesus the Son. And the Holy Spirit is said to pour that love out into our heart, to connect with us. The Holy Spirit embraces us with the love of God. He's proven Himself faithful to forgive, totally forgive, wipe out, cleanse from all sin, to continually give grace and blessing and favor and continually to rejoice over you with limitless joy and inviting us to join in his joy over us. And he's committed to be unchanging over and over again. He he reveals himself as the unchanging God unchanging love presence, seeking our good. Even though sometimes our senses, our five senses, may report that they can't see anything like that happening in our life, but stick around and recognize that his love's plan and purpose is bigger than our five senses can comprehend. It is this one, This God, who says, I am, this is who I am, it is this one that we are called to trust, and in so doing, discover what our true life is all about, and what is the meaning to our existence. We, so so to trust, when, when we are trusting, maybe to extend the word, to entrust. Because really, when you trust someone, you are giving yourself. You are surrendering yourself. Nancy, my wife, um, she, she, I'll say she received of the Lord a glorious little word that she put on Facebook, and fortunately a lot of people noted it, where, where she spoke of the, our joyful surrender. That's it. That, that's it. Uh, trusting is that I have met the one who limitlessly is worthy of trust, and therefore with joy I surrender to him. And when we say joy, you see, we're not talking about uh, that I lost the war, and so now I'm defeated, so, you know, get out the white flag and wave it to God and say, okay, no, no, no. No, that's, no. It's a joyful surrender. It is the surrender of the bride to the groom, the groom to the bride. This is joyful surrender of love. You've seen the one who is the true God, the only God, the God who is love, and the God who has given himself to us in Jesus, who comes to us in the Holy Spirit. And we joyfully surrender with relief, a joy that opens the heart of God to us, that has always been for us in trusting. So, 
trust is a very intentional act. It is an intentional response to the truth of God revealed as infinitely trustworthy. But, of course, trust places us in a very vulnerable position. See, I I don't want you... How can I put it? I've been in too many places where... You know, it's the old uh, raise your hand, let me pray for you, and you come forward and you say a prayer, and and they say, well, you trust the Lord now, just hold it, hold it. That was unheard of in the early church, for they recognized trust is a journey. You, you, You come to trust, and in coming to trust, there begins the adventure, the journey of trust, as you, you know the person, and you, you see, trust is vulnerable. You're not going to just open your heart up to anybody. It's trusting means that, okay, I placed my trust in him, but in so doing, that that act was also an act of entrusting myself to him. Do you get that? To trust him means I'm going to live intentionally with him, in him, without mask, without pretense with no secrets. Oh, you see, when I said that he has no mask and he has no secrets, then we get all warm and fuzzy feelings. But the fact is that to believe upon him, to know him, to trust him means that we will walk in his light with no fear. This is what his love means. You see, to be exposed, and, 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 and my will, I choose to be exposed to his love light at all times, to be known by him. And, uh, you see, and I know there are people, and, and it's all part of what we've been taught by our religious ancestors, that, you know, if, if he sees sin in your life, well, you've had it, mate. I mean, you're doomed. It's over. Because he's, he's found sin, you see. He's, he's found sin. You walked in the light and he showed up your sin, and, and now you're doomed. He's going to take your weaknesses that he's found there, and he's going to use it against you. He's take. He's found your brokenness, and he's going to use it against you. See, I, I don't know who those people are. If I'm trying, I won't even try to give them a name. But they're not those who have found the God that was revealed in Jesus Christ. The God revealed in Jesus cannot, of His own being use our weaknesses and brokenness against us. He cannot, by his own being revealed in Jesus and brought to us by the Holy Spirit, he cannot bring up our sins. He swore an oath on his own person that our sins and our iniquities, he would remember them no more, never to be used against us. 
Start. You see, there's no cowering. When you trust someone, you don't cower before them. You don't dread them. You don't forever look at your self and say, I'm not worthy. Come on, trust means relationship. And he has forgiven, cleansed. He has in Christ Jesus included you in righteousness, which means you're walking in step with his covenant. Now let's get used to that. Trust means the idea of judgment never occurs to us. That was dealt with at the cross, dealt with in the blood of Jesus. Do you understand? We trust him. That means I, I, I'm not ashamed to let him walk through my spirit. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed for him to walk through the pathways of my mind. Not ashamed of my emotions. Not ashamed of my body, my work, my play. He's welcome there. See, I, I, I know chaps who... Well, and of course, their wives have a lot to do with it, too. That, that you know, you're going to watch Saturday afternoon football, but somehow you got that sneaky, guilty feeling that, you know, Jesus is waiting upstairs in the living room when, for, when you're finished so we can have a prayer meeting. Um, do, do you realize that he, he know, he's with you in your play? And I mean with you, 100% with you. He's there. We play in the light of his love. We trust him. We trust that love. He is the limitlessly safe one. Work is not secular. Work is the arena where we discover him every minute all the time, for he knows more about our work than we do. And and, and the whole jolly thing is, is lived out in his love light. And could I say emotions? Have you read the Psalms, you know, without a spiritual voice? <laughs> no, just read them as they are. They are filled with emotion. I mean, every emotion, the whole spectrum of human emotion is laid out. I mean, splashed out. You have tears. You, you have laughter. You have dancing. But you have depression, despair, hopelessness. And it's all played out and spoken to this God that the... Whoever wrote the Psalms, they're not ashamed of saying, this is where I'm at. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I'm, I'm feeling. This is how I feel. This is how I see life, and it's not pretty. And then, because in so doing, that they're, this is trust. They're trusting God to know them as they are, just as they are. And trusting Him that He's not going to say, you're guilty. No, but he's going to come and sit beside you and say, now, let's, I'll show you the way out of this. And, and, and therefore, you have in those same psalms, somewhere in the psalm, there's, there's the but, but God, and, and there is the answer that was given. Religion, you see, can't afford to do that because we've always got to pretend we're, we're, we're perfect. See, I never weep, never, never have, no, never depressed, never despair, never any anxiety because I'm a man of God. 
Yes, and look at the broken emptiness of religion. No, I've got to trust love that never stops loving me. I've got to trust love that will always sit beside me and say, I've dealt with this in Jesus. Now let's see where we're going to go with it. Let's see how you can be healed in your innermost being. And if, if you don't get it this time, we'll get it the next time. Every expression of life is dynamically shared with him. Trust. And you listen to the one trusted. Well, we've really talked about this, but let's talk a bit more. You, the person you trust is the one that you meet in the coffee shop just to pour out your heart and to hear what they have to say. Or to just meet with them to hear what they have to say. For you trust them, therefore you trust their wisdom, you trust their insight. And, and because they love you and have only your good, your highest in their mind, it means that they can see you and your situation as you can't. That's on a human level. But here is the one who in love knows all things. And I have to say it again, if he didn't love us, I mean, <laughs> limitlessly love us, unconditionally love us, recklessly love us, if he didn't love us, it would be the most terrifying statement in the world to say that he knows everything, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine a God who doesn't like you but he knows everything about you? No, you see. We, we trust the one who is love. And then the fact he knows everything about us and knows all things about all things becomes the most comforting thing I could ever know. And that he is the truth and he cannot lie and therefore he speaks only truth to me, to you, the persons he loves. He knows us. He knows us as we never, never know ourselves. He knows every detail of the situation we're in as we could never begin to know it. And he loves us and he speaks the truth. In those trysting moments, he, he reveals to us who he is. That's where we find out that he is love in a depth that we've never begun to know. And so we grow deeper in our trust as he reveals to us his love. But he also shares with us how he sees us, how he knows us, all that we mean to him, and the future that he knows and sees wrapped up in us in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? See, he knows you, I was going to say better than you know yourself. You don't really know yourself at all, Re really. Um, our knowledge of ourself is such a mishmash uh, of experiences where we could only report what the five senses told us or what other people have said and 
some dreams that we have about us. No, we don't know ourselves. And that's the trouble because we will always default to saying I'm unworthy, I'm no good, I cannot, I am not, all that negative stuff. But you see, he knows us perfectly. And so it behoves us to listen, listen, and in so doing discover our true selves in Christ by listening to his opinion of us, to see us through his eyes. It would be true to say that we discover ourselves through his eyes. We discover ourselves. All the lies that our family told us, and I'm not saying they were just a bunch of liars. I mean, they, they did their best, and they reported what their five senses told them and reported on their interpretation of that. And they're way off base right from the beginning most of the time. We, I've got to go somewhere else. I can't go to myself and I can't go to my family. And my ancestors, you know, the stuff that's passed on about the family and, and that unbiblical statement that it's in our genes, usually it's in our genes, we're, we're just a bad lot. No, it's not in your genes at all. No, 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 no. Anyway, you're a new creation in Christ. And it, it amounts to lies, unintentional many times, ignorant for sure. And the people you work alongside, they, they're just talking off the top of their head. No, no one knows who you are except the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Isn't that fantastic? And he will speak to us through his word, through the Spirit speaking within us. And he teaches us to accept. This is where it gets vulnerable because I don't feel like this. I've got a, a screaming flash that says, this isn't who you are. And there, there were times in my past where I dare not even speak to a religious person because they would have collapsed in horror at my pride when I would tell them the feelings that God has for me, the how he sees me, his opinion of me. No, we, we accept our acceptance and we joy in the joy that he has over us. And we walk boldly with head held high in the friendship that we have with him in Christ. Well, let me quickly say, it says, lean not on your own understanding. That, too, is a definition of trust. To lean. You, you lean upon. You place your weight upon. But here, um, the, the word lean is used of a walking stick, a walking cane. And so it's, it's the idea that you, you've got a cane, a walking stick, and, and it's the walking stick of your own understanding, your own opinion of God, your own opinion of yourself, your own 
agenda for what life is supposed to be about. It's all your own understanding gathered from all those places I've just mentioned. And, and it's the, the walking stick of your five senses. It's just, it's just what you can see, hear, taste, and smell. Um, no, no reference to the greatness and the glory of God's love that embraces your little life. It's an ancestor wisdom that, I tell you what it is, it's a walking cane that is the heirloom of Adam. And it comes to us down through the centuries, the walking stick of the lie that Satan told him, that he would be a god in himself. And, and God, of course, was not the god of the real God. It was the God made up by Satan, and therefore it was a God of all power. Leave love out of this. He's a God of power, and therefore a God of, of all wisdom, so that you can judge between good and evil. You're the boss here. And to do that, you've got to control. And, and trust is out of the window. You're, you're in the middle of life, and you're alone, and you've got to control it and make it work. Well, it doesn't. No, he says, lean not to your own understanding. Throw away the cane and trust in, in a glorious, abandoned, intentional surrender into this one. Trust him. Trust him. And, and to, to do so, you might feel you're stepping off the edge of a cliff. Oh, that's wonderful. Jolly. Do it. It's free fall into his love. Throw away the cane. Well, that, that's it. I, I'm going to stop there, and I think we've got another whole week here for sure. Um, and so um, we, we, we will be back. The next time we're together, I'll pick this up. But until then, I, I want you to realize you are created to trust. That, that's, that's the human. We are created to trust and receive from the one we trust. Well, you could define sin as an act of insanity because there was absolutely no reason that man should do it, and doing it was insane. He trusted the word of the liar, <clears throat> and in trusting the word of the liar, distrusted the God of love and found himself believing that he could trust himself, which was in reality placing himself in the hands of Satan. <clears throat> that's mankind and that's, that's sin. But you were created to trust, and therefore everything's out of whack. Everything's out of whack. You're using your trust in totally the wrong way. And what I'm talking about is trusting the love of God that is working his work in all. He never controls us. He never manipulates us. He rather just embraces us and speaks his word in us and gently leads us into the paths of life that produces gratitude and thanksgiving and rest in him and peace in him with joy in the safest place on earth. And trust grows in us as we grow in knowing the Holy Trinity of love. 
and take that, take it, take it. This is who you are. Now be who you are. Trust in the I am with all your heart. Do not lean. Do not use the walking cane of your ancestral understanding, but rather joyfully surrender, abandon yourself, free fall into the love of God and grow in trusting him who is infinitely trustworthy. And now the blessing of this incredible God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing of love, life, love, light, fill your life in this incoming week. And you be given grace by the Spirit to abandon yourself into his love and live a life of trusting in him. So I now bless you to that end that it shall be so.